If you want to turn to Psalm 34, in the series that I've been preaching on the life of David, I mentioned last week that we would come to a beautiful psalm that was born out of the trouble and the trials that David went through. In the situation we're in, a great majority of what he's going through, he's brought on himself. Now, of course, he hasn't brought on the way that Saul was after him, but we left it last week that David was scribbling on the door on the gate in the land of Gath, the Philistines, bearing the sword of Goliath, his enemy who he had killed by the help of God. And the Philistines are looking at him and saying, he's a madman. He's lost his mind. And we go from that scene to David penning, writing Psalm 34. Let's read the first few verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And I want to catch verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This is written, as I said, from the cave that David escaped from Gath and he goes into the cave Adullam, which is in the land or on the border or at the edges or practically in the land of Judah. 1 Samuel 22 is where we pick up from David fleeing from Gath when the Philistine king Achish says, have I need of madmen? Of, a, of an insane man, and you have brought this fellow to play the madman, it says where we left off, 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1, David therefore departed thence from Gath and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Now listen to what's happening when David finally starts seeking the Lord. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them. It's, it sort of feels like the worm has turned here. You know, the, he's turning a corner here when he's been running around doing all of this on his own. It says there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab and he said unto the king of Moab, let my father and my mother, I pray thee, Come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. That's in the cave, the stronghold of Adullam. You say, all this sounds great. Things are really looking up for David. It gets even better. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, in the cave. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hareth. For the remaining time, I want to talk to you about praise from a cave. Because that's what we have here. David praising God from the strangest of places. He had a narrow escape from Gath. You've heard the old saying, but you know, I'm between a rock and a hard place. That's where David is. On one hand, he's got Achish, king of Gath, 
who he killed his champion Goliath many years before. And then over here, the hard place or the rock, whichever one you want to look at it, over here is Saul trying to kill him. David doesn't know where to go. But the problem that David has is he has not asked God where to go. You don't find a situation where David asked Samuel, what should I do? That would have been a good guy to ask, would it not? The, the judge Samuel, the last judge of the Old Testament. He should have said, Samuel, what do you think I should do? We just see that David spills his guts. He spills his troubles to Samuel. Saul comes, you know, lay all night. And Saul prophesied on the ground unclothed. And then David just leaves. So David's been in this pattern of just leaving. He doesn't ask the priest, Ahimelech, what to do. He just says, have you got any food? Have you got any weapons? And then he winds up going down with the sword of Goliath down into Gath. And at all this time, he's not asking God what to do. But now a lot of good things are happening here when David gets to this cave. David, best I can tell, he at least writes three psalms from this cave. The one I just, a portion of the one I just shared with you, Psalm 34. It's also believed that he wrote Psalm 57, which is a personal plea for help. And then he most likely wrote Psalm 142, which is a prayer that David prayed while he was in the cave. And then he has Psalm 34, which is a praise. And this is a, a public message, if you will. He, it's a public message that David preaches before the people that were gathered to him there at the cave Adullam. Now listen, the cave Adullam was a cave of mazes. It was a place you could easily get lost in. It was a place, a great place to go and hide and there was only access to the cave Agilam by foot going along high mountain trails. There was only one way in to Agilam, but when you got there, there were many ways out. And if you knew what you were doing and where you were going, and no doubt this being in the land of Judah, David knew this cave, this area, this maze, uh, maze of caves very well. And so it's easily defensible. You know, think about it. A, a, an army of a thousand could come against you and if, you're, if there's one way in and one way out, you got to fight one at a time. You see that? So this was a strategic place for David to go that he could hide and be away. And if you read Psalm 57, and we're not going to talk about Psalm 57, but he speaks of being in the shadow of the wings of God. David's in a good place, even though it's a very strange place. So while David is down here in this cave, according to 1 Samuel 22, Notice it says his brethren and his father's house heard it. So somebody brought a message back to David's mother and father and said, hey, we've heard that David is now hiding out in the cave, Adulam. And don't you know that was encouraging when his family came to him? Oh, here he is over in Gath, scribbling on the doors and, and his spittle is going down his beard like a madman and he's about to be killed by the armies of Gath, completely surrounded with no hope of deliverance, naturally, and David escapes, and here he is. His family is coming to him. His family comes to him and comforts him. And his brethren, you know, his seven brothers come down. And not only that, there were other people that came. Can you picture David in the cave, you know, and the family shows up, and they have a great reunion. And the next thing you know, they're, they're on defense. They're watching out for, you know, bad people showing up. And the next thing you know, here comes these men showing up. 400 of them. You see, the cave, Adulam, had to be a large place for them to be able to hang out and hide 
And these 400 men, but it's not just any 400 men. It's 400 men that were, <laughs> they were desperate losers. They were desperate losers. You say, well, that's a bad way to look at them. That's what they were. It says that they were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontented. You see, they were not happy. They were bitter. Distress means a heavy load that causes, to, that causes you to be pressed down. They were distressed. They were very much like David, were they not? They also were in debt. In debt there means a continual pressing, teeth gnashing against a seed. It makes me think of if you plant a garden and you put the seed in the ground, you know, you don't mash the seed down in the ground because it may push it down so far that it won't be able to make it back up whenever it, it germinates and grows. That's what these guys were dealing with. They were being pressed they were in debt. They had incurred debts that they could not pay. It was most likely that these guys had gotten into these loan sharks and different things like usury. The Lord condemned usury in the Word of God. That's where usury just means somebody uses you. Not just loaning you money, but they take advantage of you. You know, an extremely high interest rate that's impossible to pay back. These guys, they were coming to take their houses because they couldn't pay their debts, so they just left. And they went out. To, maybe David's got the answers. We believe him to be the king, and so we'll go see him. Where is he? He's in the cave. The society would look at these guys and say, these are desperate losers. They failed in business. They failed in their community life. They failed in their social life. And you know, these men are destined to become the national heroes of Israel. Y'all hear me? These are the men that will become the national heroes of Israel. And they go out to him. And they're distressed and they're in debt. These are not happy people. Now this probably, as exciting as it was for him to see his family, it was probably not very exciting to see these bitter, discontented men. You know, the old saying, misery loves company. Well, David, if he was miserable, now he's got some company. So... These men were discontented, they were in debt, but at the same time, in the cave, David's mind clears, and he writes Psalm 57 as a plea for help. He writes 142 as a prayer, and he, he writes 34 as a praise. It's very important that we set the stage for the praise that David is going to give out in Psalm 34, because you know your prayers are private most of the time between you and the Lord. Your pleas to the Lord are private, but your praise should be public. You hear me? Your praise should be public. And David now has an audience. His audience is not the Philistines anymore who want to kill him. Now he's got discontented, in debt, and distressed people that are there, including his family. And he's got an audience to praise the name of God with. Now this Psalm 34 is what, what you would call acrostic that's a big word but it just means that it takes the, each of the psalms verses begins with a letter of the hebrew alphabet so it's very methodical now there, in the case of psalm 34 there's one letter that's off but ex all except for one letter it's acrostic so each verse starts with the beginning of a letter of the hebrew alphabet some say well that was for memorization i say that it's because god in heaven is the alpha and omega <laughs> he's the beginning of the alphabet and he's the end but it would help you memorize the psalm for sure. And you can bet your life that these men, these people that were gathered here in the cave Agilam, memorized this as David stood up and preached this to them. And it was written down later. 
So don't forget that. The scene is the cave Adulam. Uh, only one way in, easily defensible, many ways to escape and get out. And so here he is with these 400 men, his family, his brothers. No doubt if they were married, their wives, their children, the family is gathered there. And then David, after he most, I believe the sequence was probably the plea first, the prayer next, and the praise comes last. He stands up before these men that are distressed and discontented and in debt. And he begins to preach to them. This is quite a difference from scrabbling on the doors of the gate and, and gaff, is it not? That's what the Lord is able to do, child of God. Listen, maybe you've been in gaff. Maybe you've been in the land of the enemy. Maybe you've sought help or, or, or comfort from places that will not comfort you. But when you come to the strange place of God and you get in a good place with God, even if it's in a cave out in the middle of the wilderness... Your mind's going to clear up. You're going to feel the peace of God. When I read this, I thought of the verse over in the New Testament where it says the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Who in the world could naturally have peace living in a cave? <laughs> Being a caveman. Well, that's because the Lord Jesus Christ can penetrate the walls of the rock of a cave and be there with you. So you can find the peace of God that passeth all understanding in all kinds of strange places. And so the psalm itself speaks of praise. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is the same guy that was scrabbling on the doors of the gate of Gath just a few days before. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. David has been humbled, has he not? He's looked like a madman, a fool down there in Gath. You say, how in the world can he go from that embarrassment over here to be praising God? That's the mercy and the grace of God. How can I go, you go, how can we go from the embarrassing sins of our life and the places where we mess up and we make mistakes and yet we can come back and praise God? That's the mercy and grace of God. This is interesting in verse 2. It says where he, he will make his boast to the Lord. That is the same Hebrew word as where it says in, the, in 1 Samuel chapter 21 where it says that he feigned himself mad. It's kind of funny, isn't it? It's the same Hebrew word, different context, different application. But you see where David's mind is. Down here in Gath, you know, he's raising his hands and acting like, a, like he's insane, looking up at some object in the sky that he pretends is there. He puts on a great performance before the people of Gath just so he can escape with his life. And he comes to the cave and he's raising up his hands and he's praising God and he's not feigning himself mad anymore, but he's making his boast in the Lord. You see, it's a different context of the raised hands praising God. Y'all see that? You may have raised your hands to the most obscure and strange things. You may have offered mad praise to the gods of this world, the false gods of this world, and thought, well, this is all there is, and this is all that I can look forward to. But I tell you, child of God, those are idols, and they will let you down, and you look like a madman or a madwoman. But when you get into the place where God will, will speak with you and you can clear your mind and you can listen to Him and you see what a fool that you were and how those idols did let you down, then you can raise your hands up in a different way, not to the idols of the world, but to the God of heaven and earth who will give you peace in the, in the midst of terrible circumstances. David, it says, is not just thankful in heart, but he's also thankful in mouth, speaking. You know, you can be thankful in heart all day long, but the Lord is honored by praise coming out of your mouth. Charles Spurgeon said, praise should be one of the daughters of music. 
whenever we sing, whenever we glorify God in song, it should be to praise Him. And you know, think about today, you know, if somebody did what David did. Well, he went down there, he got in a jam, and he acted like a fool. And he scribbled on the doors and spit ran down his beard. You know, he foamed at the mouth like a mad dog. And they said, we don't have anything to do with this guy. He needs to be institutionalized. Get him out of here. Okay, you think about that. Now, a lot of people today would have gone off with their buddies and their friends and got together and said, man, that was cool, wasn't it? Well, I fooled them. That was really clever what I did. They'd brag or boast about their foolishness. See? But not David. David makes his boast in the Lord. See? He was a seeming idiot scribbling on a gate and now he's a saint, a poet, a preacher looking back on how he didn't realize it. He thought it was his way delivering him, but there was something else there delivering him. Understand, there's been a lot of debate in the commentators, I would say most of them of which are probably legalists. Then they say, well, you know, was David really serving God? Was he under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost when he scribbled on the gate and when he foamed at the mouth? Absolutely not. A legalist has to get that in their head and say, well, there had to be some way that that was honoring God and the Lord worked all of that out. Let me tell you why from the Word of God that David looks back and said, I was a fool. I never should have done that because there was another dynamic going on there. Let's continue to read. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, verse 3 of Psalm 34, and let us exalt His name together. You see, that's why we know that he's preaching to a crowd. He says, magnify the Lord with me. He says, uh, let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Remember why David went into the land of Gath? It says, for fear of Saul, he went down there. They looked unto him and they were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. He's speaking to the crowd. When you see what God did with David, they would look and they would go, that's amazing. That's an amazing deliverance. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And here it comes. Here comes the end game. Here comes the truth about how David was delivered. And this is an amazing encounter that David has. He says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. There's a song that we sing, God's angels encampeth round them that fear him. I hate to tell you, but just it's not quite, quite accurate, okay? It's not quite accurate because the song says God's angels, plural, encampeth around them that fear Him. But this says God's angel, singular, encampeth around them that fear Him. The angel of the Lord. You see, it's singular. This is Jesus Christ, child of God. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And David understood that while he was down there scrabbling on the gate like a fool, while he was following the things of the world and clinging to the weapons of the enemy and living in the land of the enemy, seeking help in the land of the enemy, there was somebody else there. There was another presence there. And it was God's angel. It was the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying everybody saw him, but I tell you David saw him because he said the Lord, the angel of God, Jesus Christ himself, which he didn't know that name at the time, but the angel of God and campeth, and camped around him in Gath and delivered him. You know, this is not new ground that we're, that we're plowing here. You can read in the Old Testament when there were battles and wars and such, and armies would come to fight, and the, and the, the enemy was daunting. It was, they outnumbered God's people, God's nation, and they would come before the nation, and they would fear, and they would say, there's no way that we can win this. And you know what the Lord would do? The Lord would take confusion, and He would just put confusion on the crowd, on the army of the enemy, and you know 
know what they'd do? They'd, somebody would clink swords against another man right next to him and somebody, t- ten men over, would hear the clink of that sword and they'd think we're being surprise attacked and the next thing you know, the army's destroying itself. God sent confusion upon the armies many times. And I could see the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ Himself, putting confusion upon the minds of these Philistines. And David escapes. He runs. He doesn't just walk out. As soon as he gets to the gate, as soon as he clears the vision of the Philistines, you can see David kicking up dust. He's running to get out of there. And it was the angel of the Lord that delivered him. It was God's angel encamped around David. And this is very significant, child of God. Because here we have the first encounter that David has with Jesus Christ. We say all the time, as C.S. Lewis put it, of Aslan, we say of Christ, that Christ is not a tame lion. In the most unlikely of places where you would think that the Lord, He'll never show up here. He shows up. And He shows out. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You see, David went through an amazing deliverance there in Gath. And he comes to a place where he finally can get perspective. He finally can rest. His family comes to him. I want you to think about this. And I've got more that I want to say about Psalm 34. But we're going to bring our thoughts to a close here today and save that for next time. But as we close, I want you to think about this. God will hide you if you'll listen to Him. He'll hide you. And when you get in bad places, if you'll listen to Him and you'll run and you'll flee, and you'll flee to the Lord, like the song says, flee as a bird to your mountain. If you flee to the Lord, He will hide you. David... He trades lies and malice and fear, the weapons of the enemy, and getting out of the land of the enemy itself. And he gets inspiration for three of the greatest psalms. I know that's arguable because they're all inspired by the Holy Ghost, but three of the greatest comforting psalms that you'll ever read. He's reunited with his family. He preaches to a bunch of losers who became national heroes. He provides for the safety of his family. He gets direction from the prophet of God named Gad. And he goes back into his homeland. He goes from the land of the enemy to this stronghold in Adulam. And then he goes on to the forest of Harath in the land of Judah. We'll speak about that next time. These are amazing changes in the life of David. And what made the difference? What made the difference? The most important thing that he experienced. He experienced Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord. And he's going to have many more experiences with Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord. It's not the only time that Christ's pre-incarnate presence appears to David. But it is the first. And it's very notable in the life of David.